0: trying to think of the last big show. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I think it was it might have been Indian
1: As we look back on the rich history of Doom Metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week we will have a different guest spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, uh, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you may. Uh, stream your podcast from. And if you have a question or want to pitch something, you can fire off an email to doom 1968 gmailcom And joining us for this week's chapter is JJ Anselmi, who wrote the really awesome book Doom to Fail. Uh, it was released originally in hardcover, but there's going to be a paperback edition coming out later this year. Um, so thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dylan. I'm stoked to talk to you. Kind of, I've already like said it before, um, but you know, first off, congratulations on the the birth of your daughter. Because oh, uh, we were we were supposed to talk a few months back, and that sort of took precedence as it should.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the flexibility, and yeah, was you know having my life reshuffled and just have the priorities all different. But yeah, thanks a lot for the flexibility. I'm stoked to uh, be able to you know step back into the the world of this book and just kind of being a writer again yeah it feels great
1: um and you're you're also actually the second jj to be featured on this podcast <laughs> oh is it jj from the obelisk
0: yeah jj kozan yeah shout I, out to jj in the obelisk yeah i feel i i'm trying to i think i've had some i feel like we've interacted at some point over the years but anyway he yeah he's a he's a great example of You know, I can't imagine that he makes any money from the obelisk. I would be, like, pretty surprised if that's the case. But, you know, just what a labor of love. There's just so many people within this world that, you know, just do what they can to support the music knowing full well, like, it's, it's it's not about, like, a return of money or anything like that. So, yeah, he's a lot of respect for that guy, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, JJ is, like, a great example of like the power of fandom and like yeah. what it can do and yeah. seeing like how he's been able to like to work with people in the scene and do things and put things together and you know be an integral part of a music festival like yeah. you just you just don't see that in the larger scope of music where everything is so seemingly cutthroat and For shitty sure. and you gotta like really battle your way to the top it's more about communion and working together here
0: yeah because yeah you recognize it's small and we were kind of talking earlier about like being from a small town and i think it's just easy to know that you know most people aren't really that into it so i think when you do find people that like do genuinely appreciate the music it's just why not just hold each other close rather than try to compete and push each other away yeah,
1: it's not it, the the posturing kind of goes yeah. away. It's not like I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good, good example. I, I don't know. I guess you think of like I don't know why, but I just thought of like you think of like Axel Rose and like sure. Vince Neil like challenging each other to fights on TV. And <laughs> it's just like, yeah.
0: yeah. Although I would pay to see that now. That's true. I would pay. Yeah. I think Vince Neil would. Axel seems very small seems like Vince Neil would probably destroy him, would be my guess. But, I mean, I guess Axel has so much just uh, unpredictable energy. You don't know what the fuck. He might just do. not show up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't and know. if he does show up, yeah, you, you have no idea what he's going to do. Who knows? <laughs> I would pay, though, for sure. But in regards
1: to your book,
0: just a quick story about it. I started it just
1: before lockdown hit last year. Okay. Went to Rutt's Hut in New Jersey, um, where I was originally living. Got a couple of hot dogs. Then I went to Ghost Talk Brewing for some beer and was reading there. Went home. And then the next day, I think, was like my uh, – was I started working from home for months, you know, because right. everything was just, like, shut down. So yeah. it was, like, kind of a – it was sort of a, a weird book, but also a fitting book to be reading because everything yeah. was – did have this very, like – you know ominous feel to it you know every it right. was kind of the we were transitioning into spring it was a very kind of like dull gray period of the year we were all kind of like holy shit this virus is running rampant everywhere and yeah. you couldn't ha- kind of help but feel like that unearthly like weight of, of just general dread and how and no, dread. Like, nobody was happy you know no yeah. one was happy
0: yeah definitely and so you must have gotten it pretty much right when it came out because i think i did like the release party or like the release reading here in long beach and then um yeah i mean what seemed like a week or two after that we were in lockdown and so i couldn't you know there was nothing like that that could happen but yeah you're you're right i thought about that a bunch as as the pandemic kind of unfurled and, you know, there was just that kind of creeping dread, like you said, just weighing upon everybody. And a lot of the book is so much about like that kind of social dread and how that it has impacted doom and sludge over the years. And I mean, I, I don't think there's any better example in our time of something that just made us all pause and just really see how fragile everything is and how terrifying something like that can be. And I mean, really to like channel those feelings, I couldn't think of a better music than Doom really. And yeah, it has been, I will say also, that's been one of the kind of a shining light through the pandemic is just, you know, as we were all really missing going to shows and seeing friends and all that stuff, um, just watching not only Doom bands, but just, metal bands and I guess it's all music but especially for me just being a metal fan just seeing people still be productive and still try to connect with each other in different ways and still just try to keep it alive and so yeah it's just kind of a testament to like I said not only doom but just metal of it really is a music to channel negativity and find ways to keep moving forward and really grapple with just the the toughest it's it's not a music that ignores those things but it is a way to i think to uh, you know maybe purge purge that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. it's only you know we've only seen the very beginnings of stuff that was music that was written during the pandemic and stuff and i think you know for years and years we're going to be there's just going to be probably you know many many great albums to have come out of this period that were at least if not the entire thing, were written during this period. And so, yeah, again, I think that's just a testament to what doom and heavy music can do, what it can mean for people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's like almost therapeutic, you
1: know, like there were for just, sure. and there were just those days, like, especially in the beginning where it just was so crummy. And like, yeah. I couldn't really describe the way my brain felt, but it's like, like if I was going to like put some kind of describer, it's just like, it sounded like, Grief, like that, really like, like the band. I'm like, oh, the band grief. That's how I felt.
0: Yeah, yeah, just that trudging, just misery. It's unchanging and just crushing. And yeah, that's very much, yeah, the experience of the pandemic for me, too, of just, yeah, just that monotony. And at the same time, there was that aspect. But then, you know, for me, I was also like really lucky in a lot of ways. So yeah, my, wife got pregnant and my daughter was born this year. So that was another, the pandemic for me ended up being like really just such extremes of light and darkness. To me, it just really, when the pandemic started to hit and you can see the unease, the kind of thing that I kept thinking was just how fragile society really is. I think it's easy to think of like all our systems as these monoliths that are gonna be here forever, but To me, it was something like the pandemic just really underscores that it's just all stuff that humans have built that can be destroyed. And then not to mention all the, uh, uh, you know, George Floyd and all the just so much more horrific stuff going on beyond the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's totally crushing. But then, like I said, there was this extreme light of like my wife getting pregnant and just having a lot of time to write. Um, myself, and so I felt like I was very like creatively productive. So it was is this strange in that way of just these. This is total juxtaposition, and it didn't always seem like they made sense together. Very bizarre. I'm I'm curious to see how we're gonna be describing it in the years to come. Or yeah, what am I gonna tell my daughter about like the year she was conceived? You know, the pandemic. It's, it seems like our generation's version of like when my grandparents would talk about the great depression yeah it's just like this collective thing at least in the u.s that everybody suffered through and so yeah it seems a lot like that to me i guess
1: it'll probably be a little bit different just because it was um you know it was not like right before a war i mean yeah <laughs> knock on wood <laughs> sure yeah um, and it was also just like, this is literally what's happening now. It's, yeah. it's hard to control that with like, digital, you know, digital and the way that information's manipulated and, you know, people can kind of remember things how they want to remember them now a bit more freely, which, you know, is good and bad because sure. it's, it's good because I think there's going to be people that always are going to make sure that like the facts are there, but it's bad because the people that don't want facts to be out there can kind of... Yeah call their own shots so like it's sure. it's good. It, yeah it, it'll be interesting to see how I guess the remainder of the year plays out and then forward from there but it wasn't but on a lighter note kind <laughs> 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 of go back to your beginning like what were your earliest experiences with music because like you know we talked about you grew up in a small town in Wyoming and like yeah. I have no fucking clue like what the music scene was like back then or even today
0: really i I really don't yeah. know fuck all about wyoming <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i'm from this small coal mining town in southwestern wyoming um it's called rock springs <clears throat> and it's a a boom town in the truest sense of the word so there's a it was founded on coal mining in the 70s there was like more of a, a there was a a big boom because they built a a big power plant and brought a lot of people in and they're starting to uh, um, get some natural gas out of nearby areas. And then when I was right after I graduated from high school, well, I should say, so that kind of big boom happened when my parents were um, like graduating high school and then having me and my sister. And then there was a bus period for a long time until I was, until I graduated from high school. And so it's just kind of like you go through these just really extreme periods of kind of scarcity and everybody is money is tight with pretty much 95% of people, you know, you still have, um, you know, people who have just like um, they have, you know, different investments and stuff where they didn't have to worry about money in the same way. But yeah, you go through these like really extreme periods of, boom and bust with people, Um, and it creates this kind of, I don't know, to me, when I would read about Black Sabbath um, living in Birmingham, that's really a lot of what it reminded me of, of just being surrounded by this really intense and harsh blue-collar labor, and there was never really any, like, I mean, it's, some people try and kind of romanticize that stuff, but to me, even as a kid, it was, like, not something that you would really gloss over, or see in like a, a a really warm glow because like I said, there was those extremes of um, scarcity. And then when it would boom, it was just like kind of nuts for a while. And there was a lot of drugs and a lot of um, workers from just other places that were there just to make a quick dollar and party and then get out. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of creates this, Uh, one of my buddies calls it like a collective neurosis and so yeah there's a really high suicide rate there which ties into all that stuff so I grew up just having experiences with seeing that stuff super early on my dad's best friend killed himself when I was nine years old and it was it was just from then on there was this kind of like constant presence of suicide essentially and so and that's not an exception either when you talk to people from the town it's very very common i'm actually i'm working on a new project that's just specifically about the town and when i would talk to all these people and ask them about their experiences with suicide it wasn't i never talked to a person that had no experience with it and the majority of people was like yeah i've known you know five or six people but then a lot of people were like me of like i've known a a dozen people (laughs) in essence who've committed suicide and you think of it being like a 20,000 person town and you put it in that context and it's just something is just not right. It's not usual. So that's all to say that, you know, I think from an early age, kind of growing it up in that environment that I had a, a, you know, you just have kind of a, just a more bleak view of reality, I guess. I didn't really, I had kind of a lot of pessimism growing up. And so when I discovered Black Sabbath, like I said, it just, hit home with me immediately. And a lot of it was from like seeing um, seeing him on VH1 and Ozzy especially when he would talk about Birmingham and just that kind of hopelessness and seeing how the uh, harsh blue collar labor can eat away at people. Yeah, I, I really, I think I felt all that in Black Sabbath's music before I even realized it was, like consciously realized it was there. Um, and so basically got super heavy into metal. Um, there wasn't, there was like a little punk scene with like kids trying to make things happen and have shows for themselves. But yeah, really there was not much music as a whole. We had to go to um, Salt Lake city, which is like two and a half hours away to see any like bigger bands. But you know, that couldn't happen until I was older. So I think it was, it reminded me a lot of when I interviewed um, Buzz Osborne from Melvin's and he's talking about growing up in um, the Aberdeen area and just how small it was, you really appreciate, like, when music that resonates with you comes comes to you or you discover it, I think you really appreciate it. Um, and so it was just, you know, when I would discover a band, I would just really dive headfirst. And I was trying to read as much as possible about bands and, and all kinds of stuff. And um, so, yeah, a lot of just finding stuff on my own and trying to find it from any source possible. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, Maybe sound old but it's good to remember this is before like the age of the internet so right finding out about a band was really the main way i would was from like revolver um like terrorizer and stuff like that and i would just you know read and kind of discover bands that way um so yeah it seems a little bit different since the internet is around but you know that said too there's not a whole lot of doom metal fans in the town i did end up discovering like there's a small pocket of metalheads and stuff like that and some really cool people that love awesome music but yeah it's it's very few and far between so yeah i'd say the attitude that really fostered is just uh being very appreciative and i try and remember that kind of like we were we had mentioned um off air i think the pandemic created that for a lot of people of like, suddenly none of us can go to shows. So when we when we go back, we're just gonna be much more appreciative of it. Oh yeah, I'm like fully prepared to cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I can't even, I had never, during this past year, i would never had like a, such strong reactions to um, watching bands live on YouTube. But now, I mean, since that's like, you know, our only outlet, since I haven't seen live music in so long, it's just suddenly powerful because that's what you have, you know? Yeah,
1: I mean, we, uh, we uh, before the pandemic, like, one of the last shows we saw was Blood Incantation um, oh, yeah. On, on, yeah. Val- on Valentine's Day. So for Valentine's Day last year, we just rewatched the show, and, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, we already saw it, but this is, like, the closest thing we're going to get to. For sure. And you get to relive,
0: like, that good memory. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm trying to think of the last... Big show I think it was it might have been Indian from what I remember that that might be just just my clearest memory it was it was like within a couple months
1: mm-hmm.
0: from what I remember that might be totally off, but that might also just stand out because that was such a just mind blowingly heavy experience. It's completely punishing band one of the heaviest bands I've ever seen for sure i have not yet seen them
1: uh, so they're they're on the list of bands yeah. to see like it is some grueling ass music
0: yeah and it's even just seeing it live is just uh just relentless and totally punishing my buddy who loves them had to like leave the venue he said because it got too intense and so <laughs> it's happened to me a few times <laughs> yeah like...
1: yeah make a beeline to the bathroom at St. Vitus and put your head between your legs as you sit on the toilet and hope you don't vomit because you spoke too much weed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is there a specific record that you would credit for changing
0: your direction into heavy music? I mean, if I was, like I said, I think Sabbath, you know, really like guided me into this style and stuff. And I did know about them at a pretty early age and I really liked it, but even before them, what really I think put me on the path of heavy music was just Corn, uh, <laughs> the subtitled record and Follow the Leader. And it was just kind of you know I was like 12 years old and it was that age where you know you're just kind of branching out into music that isn't what your parents have showed you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was you know it's kind of like I was saying as you know from this place where I think a lot of the youth. Felt disaffected. And, you know, my dad worked out at this power plant, and a lot of my uh, friends' parents had that kind of similar blue collar experience. And it wasn't like a rosy, like he would get home from work and be happy. He would just get home from work and he was just totally, you know, destroyed basically. He'd just like lay down on the couch and was just, I think, physically and mentally um, eviscerated in some ways. And so, Yeah, discovering Korn and that kind of angsty stuff. And there's a lot of kids, um, you know, in similar situations. Um, So, yeah, Korn, I think, really put me on the music, on the path of, yeah, just heavy music, stuff that looks at the darker side of life. And I will say about Korn, I know they have their ridiculous moments for sure. But one thing I I appreciate about them a lot, and it ties into that Doom book, is... how much they really sound like where they're from if you've ever been to bakersfield california it's it's not like la or san francisco it's um it's the central valley it has just this like it feels like the wyoming of california is how i always felt because i had lived there i went to grad school in fresno which is just an hour up the road but yeah corn and it just feels like a kind of forgotten by the state at large and there's a lot of Economic decline and not a whole lot of industry and tons of drugs and all that stuff and so yeah I will say for corn that they definitely sound like Bakersfield and I think that's something that I have always gravitated to over the years of bands that really sound like where they're from and so again Sabbath is they couldn't be from anywhere else other than Birmingham you know pretty literally because Tony Iommi got his fingers cut or the mm-hmm. top of his fingers cut off in a sheet metal accident because Birmingham is this industrial town where that's people his age. And so, yeah, I think it really put me on the, it wasn't something I consciously realized back then, but I think it definitely set me on the path of gravitating to music that just really has a strong sense of place. And then later with, you know, I Hate God sounds just like a Louisiana swamp. Like it just emerged from from that, you know, you can hear it very clearly or like weed eater and, I think Neurosis from Oakland. All these bands have, to me, like a a really tangible and clear sense of place.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. And it's it's
1: like when you put that on and you hear something like that for the first time, you're like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" Like I've never Mm -hmm. heard something that sounds like a mountain moving before.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I had that especially with Black Sabbath. I knew like Paranoid and stuff when I was a teenager, and then I had my new metal years, but then when I came back to like old-school metal and getting into just all the classics and Metallica and Slayer and stuff like that, once I discovered Black Sabbath's self-titled album, and then, you know, just the first song, Black Sabbath on there, and just how slow and crushing it was. It was just, at the time, I was just like, Jesus, this is just, it was, I mean, and this was in like the year 2003 or 2002. So, you know, literally over 30 years, since it had come out and it still just stunned me as like, wow, this is, I didn't know people could make music this heavy and just this punishing, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, for me, it was like, probably
1: Holy Mountain was like yeah that really like changed me over. Like I heard that and I was like, this is, I, you know, because I, I started being the loud rock uh, music director for my college radio station. Oh, uh, so cool. like, well, if I'm gonna be handling metal, I gotta like learn more about it. And yeah. Like, you know, as I've said a lot, like at the time, like a lot of the core bands were big, like, you know, like Dillinger skate plan was huge at the time. And like, I liked them, but I wasn't really super into like a lot of that really fast technical stuff. Um, yeah. I usually didn't like the vocals associated with it. And it just, uh, and like, which is weird because like I was also like a huge Dream Theater fan, which is like, like, Note, Note City. But, yeah for sure and I, I just sort of gradually like kind of got away from that because I thought I, I, I felt like at the time like that kind of stuff just was losing I was losing interest in it and I wanted to hear something else and I, I don't know if it's just like as you just maybe you just get like a bit older and you get a little more jaded and you get a little more nihilistic about things and it's kind of yeah. like that music speaks to you a little bit differently but you know that record definitely like changed the way I would kind of like look at music and and I listen to stuff now that doesn't sound anything like sleep, but I would say like, if I hadn't checked that band out, there's a good chance I wouldn't be like talking to you right now. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sleep was huge for me too. And so in high school, I was super into freestyle BMX and kind of going back to the, um, you know, just ways of discovering music that I think people like growing up now might not necessarily think about one of the, I think most effective ways that I got music that I never would have heard otherwise living in that town was through BMX videos. And yeah, so I had all kinds music. of shit, right? Back in the day, oh, like punk ska, yes. metal, whatever. Yeah. And so I, I found, yeah, I heard um, Dragonaut for the first time in a BMX video. And around that same time I heard Floor and also I Hate God. And those are bands that I never would have, like, nobody that I knew was listening to that stuff. But when I heard it in BMX videos, that it was just another. It was that first song off the Sabbath self-titled record all over again. It just stunned me that music could be so heavy. And with those bands especially, like, so raw and just visceral. And like you said, it wasn't super technical. And I think I was, I played drums for a long time. And, like, i I would try so hard to play, like, crazy thrash metal like Pantera and Slayer, and I just could not do it. It's just not who I am as a musician. But then when I heard I Hate God and Sleep and Floor, it was just like this kind of, it's funny because it's like, you know, like like you said, very nihilistic music, super pessimistic, but at the same time, it felt like uh, somebody with open arms welcoming in, welcoming me in as like, oh, you don't know how to play technically, like, that's fine. just do the thing as hard as you fucking can. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, man. with all those bands, and yeah, again, Sleep and Out was huge, and I still get that feeling from Sleep. I always, with Sleep, I always think of, um, there's that scene in the movie Gummo, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen yeah, it, where... They're riding, where they're riding Yeah, around. I haven't seen the movie, but I know that scene. Like, they're just riding yeah. on their bikes, and
1: you're like, kind oh, of, what is this? And then, I, I mean, I can't speak to it I don't have any personal opinions on it other than I think Harmony Curran's is kind of like a shitty person <laughs> but that yeah. movie like yeah, yeah that's you know it's like it's kind of like the perfect song to open that movie up because you hadn't heard anything like it yeah. you're not going to see anything like this movie mm-hmm. and the movie turned out to be even more kind of like fucked up than yeah, the people in, the, in that band were to some degree yeah I mean, I think 100%. there's. I read. A, I read an interview with Matt Pike where even he said, like, that movie was fucking crazy. I couldn't believe they did the shit in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, talk about. I mean, it's it's just like total nihilism and in, in film, but there's a lot of a uh, that kind of small town stuff. I feel like it captures like the small town hopelessness of just this mm-hmm. weird town in Ohio that doesn't seem to have a lot of promise for its youth, and you know, like people getting out of school as far as what they can do for their careers and stuff like that. And so seeing Dragonaut in a movie like that made perfect sense. It wasn't until like later that I actually saw Gummo, but it, it was very similar to seeing it in a BMX video. It was just a lot about just, I think it's very powerful music. And so I always associated it with that type of thing. Like in Gummo, they're riding down a hill to go kill cats. Cause that's what the kid, <laughs> that's how he earns a living. But Yeah, I I guess I see that image or just like people hitting huge jumps on their BMX bikes. It's just this kind of just this caveman like death drive thing, something about that music that really has that spirit. It's it's interesting because it's like radically different
1: like presentations, whereas like one is very bleak and horrific and, you know, the other one is BMX bikes. It's like energy and kind of. Like, for all intents and purposes, kind of upbeat, and it works in both. And it's weird that it's also
0: involved with
1: two things that involve bikes.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I really gravitated to the side of, to the darker side of BMX also. Like, me and my friends were kind of getting into just brands and riders that weren't, like, necessarily, like, contests. And so, again, I mean, it's, you know, very much, like, the doom metal of, of BMX, people who were just in it to ride and do cool shit and ne- weren't necessarily like going to ever make a living. And they probably didn't really have many illusions about doing that. And so, yeah, there was this kind of like nihilism about those, those videos, especially there's a lot of, uh, just like jackass style kind of tomfoolery mm-hmm. that gets just like pretty quickly can take a turn for the worse into just like abusing people <laughs> in essence, you know, so, yeah, I think there always was that association with, like, this is rad and this is awesome, but at the same time, there's this dark undercurrent, which, I mean, really is just life, in a nutshell, as cheesy as that sounds.
1: Well, and I think you summed it up well, because there's a line that reads, I've discovered the rejects of the rejects. That yeah. You need to play music, but aren't technical wizards. And you even said it yourself, and I kind of made the same point here, that, like, for a genre of music that, is just downright repellent at times. Like it was somehow more approachable for a fan, just in yeah. terms of it. Like you could maybe do it too, exactly. And just also like, and if you
0: can't do it, we're happy to have you here. Just for sure. It. Yeah, and even the you know like the biggest name. I mean, the names in the genre. Like you can meet those people. You know, you can meet members of neurosis and stuff like it's just like you're never gonna meet we were talking about axel rose or vince neal or just these huge artists like that there's this kind of like untouchable aspect when you hit a certain level of success i guess in music but yeah to me that's always been one of the beautiful aspects of doom of you know you see the people like walking around at the shows and oftentimes they're setting their own gear up themselves and shit like Mm -hmm. that and Usually they're happy unless you're like um a total jackass, it seems like from my experience, people are generally happy to talk to you and stoked that you like their music. Yeah,
1: I mean it for me it's it's been like just a really cool community
0: to engage with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of just like really horrible band experiences I've ever had with <laughs> in Doom Metal, and I can't really think of any. <laughs> Honestly. I mean I've seen, you know. Obviously there's lots of bad behavior, but as far as just me, it's happened way more with with writers where I like have a ton of respect for a writer and then I meet the person in in real life and I'm like, oh God, you're just, you're so fucking pretentious and it's just hard to separate the person from the art after that, after you have like yeah. kind of a bad taste in your mouth. And for the most part for Doom, I haven't met any people that really, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's hard to have like, delusions of grandeur when you play that style of music of like I'm the greatest on earth because it's very often yeah pretty DIY and stuff like that pretty pretty down to earth
1: yeah it's a labor of love you know it's kind of like yeah and it kind of goes like with your you know like you want to talk about the title of the book like you know it was a genre that was never really going to like blow up and like for yeah. all intents and purposes, it did kind of blow up for a few years, you know, and it's True. still going, it's still going along. I mean, it's got a passionate fan base. undoubtedly. Yeah. You'll never be able to take that away, but yeah, you know, and that's, that's why I'm always impressed that something will continue to pop up and still yeah. be unique and different, you know, which is why yeah. I, I hold out for it. But in terms oh, of like what you. I think people, you know, in terms of like the, the ones that are gonna be big, you know, like we're not we're not gonna have another neurosis, you know. That's that's just not gonna happen. And we don't need yeah. another one. We don't want we we have the regular neurosis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, like neurosis, you know, they were they went on Ozfest. Yeah. And like they had gone on tour like opening for Pantera. And that's a pretty like wild thing to kind of imagine, I guess it, it, it does happen a little bit, like, you know, Melvin's and, but even Melvin's itself is like kind of a, they're just like underground heroes at the end of the day. I wouldn't say they're like a mainstream band necessarily, but yeah, it's pretty wild to think of those bands going on those huge tours and just having oftentimes like very adverse reactions. And yeah, you're right. I don't think as far as like, I'm trying to think of like a modern equivalent of, I don't really even know like who the biggest metal bands of the day are, but I can't imagine them taking on, you know, like taking on this really challenging music on tour with them. I'm trying to imagine like, uh, I don't know, who's a big metal net band now? Like uh, or and,
1: and Blood Incantation like really blew the fuck up. Like they uh, really yeah. did. Like that sure. album, their last album like got so much attention and like, yeah. You know, if, if you're, you know, you're on, if you're on Instagram, and if you follow the account Insane Money, like he fucking loves that band, and there's so many memes with just the unreadable text. So like, yeah. they're probably, well, they're like the one that comes to my mind. I'm like, oh, that band, like, and again, it's not like they, won, they didn't win a Grammy, they didn't go on some national yeah. headlining tour, they or or they didn't go on some massive tour where they were supporting like Metallica or something like that, exactly. They, were a very successful underground band and it just yeah. blew
0: up. Yeah. So I think, yeah, you see that more, it seems like of just, yeah, it's like those levels of the underground rather than like underground bands trying to get over with audiences that they kind of already know aren't necessarily going to be that receptive, I guess. Um, you do see like Tool takes on, um, you know, they've always taken on bands that, I think challenged their audience. Um, recently they took on Killing Joke on tour. Yeah. And, but then I've, I've also been you know, told by people that like Killing Joke did not have a good time on that tour and they kind of, you know, they go from the shows that we're talking about it, like these, them being the headliners of these like bigger underground shows and trying to appeal to a wider audience. And it just doesn't really work. So yeah, I think you're right. Of It's just, it's just totally different now. It seems like with the internet, people there's a segmentation with audiences and there's not like a delusion that you can really cross over that often for me. Like, I don't, I, I
1: can't speak to like the the monetary success, but like the person in metal that I felt like really got a ton of attention like over last year was, um, was this artist Backwash. Oh, okay. Back back X wash and it, uh, they're a rapper, but the, the music that they use I mean they had a Sabbath sample oh so like right off and it's just like it I don't I don't really know what you would call it like dark trance like witch trance like I don't know it's just it's a it's a it, it's it's a a real blending of of sounds and yet everything about it I like like yeah it's amazing you know it's kind of like it's like some a little bit similar to Death Grips but not really.
0: Okay, I love so I'm gonna have to check it out.
1: Yeah, it, 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 it's amazing. Like, put out their second album recently. It kicks so much ass, and it just, yeah, that just soared. I mean, it was really, it was really an impeccable and amazing. Like to see the response to the their albums, but the stuff rules. I mean, it's like you can hear new metal, you can hear doom, you can hear drone, you can hear noise, you can hear black metal, awesome. like everything there. It's super cool. Yeah. There and they're a person of color, you know that that representation needs to be there For in sure. the scene, absolutely. Which is, yeah. I think it's you know it's very important that you note know, like where all this stems from from yeah. the
0: blues way For back. Sure. In the day. Yeah, that's something I feel like was really important to underscore. I mean, you know, so much of doom, at least at its roots, it's not. It has definitely like branched away, but at its roots, it's a very blues based music for sure. And I don't think, to me, it wouldn't have felt right to write the history of Doom without underscoring like that this came from, you know, black blues musicians in the South, in essence. And I think there's a lot of like really interesting things that have been looked over in, in history that black players in a lot of ways that brought amplification and distortion mm-hmm. into, into the, you know, into the world. And so I think those kind of contributions to uh, music that's often seen as like you know overwhelmingly white because it is in a lot of ways. I think it's really important to look at those histories and and challenge that narrative because it has tied in all these different elements and it's maybe just not necessarily something that people thought about. Oh yeah, and if you,
1: you, you everyone should do their homework and just yeah. read up on this stuff. Um, but and sure. in, in, in addition to that, like. You know, you also touch upon like the formative years of like hard rock and occult rock. Like, and I'm talking yeah. like before I'm not talking hard rock, like you know, like obviously like you know, your deep purples and those kinds of bands mm-hmm. come out of it, but there was a whole swath of bands that really weren't very successful, but yeah. you know, laid the groundwork and you know, occult rock. And then you really go into detail about like the bright and bloody parts of the sixties and yeah. like into the seventies and you know, I always think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a great way to visualize, like, the lost love of the 60s, because the 60s was all about, like, you know, free love and all that yeah. stuff, and then, like, how that kind of turned into this, like, ignorant and nihilistic sort of, like, search for freedom in the 70s, even yeah. though that kind of that dream was gone, you know, like, you, you know, there was the, the Kent State uh, Massacre and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, Charles Manson, and how, like, People were still looking for that thing from the '60s, but you know, as in the movie, the group of people find this like horrible, sort of like yeah. really ugly part of the of the country. And I think that you know that music is very representative of you know just that dark darker side and how how that part of history would, for better or for worse, impact a yeah. lot of. Stuff. But you do see it in doom because it echoes that. I mean, of course, you know, you have bands like Church of Misery where they're, like, singing about serial killers like Charles Manson and shit like that.
0: So Yeah. But, yeah, earlier on, that kind of, uh, yeah, the loss of free love and even, like, right before that when Coven was kind of being informed and it was it was before, like, the, the Manson and Kent State, but there was still just, like, this kind of overarching sense of doom. And I think for a lot of people – The 60s really was this kind of foreboding time. I always think of uh, like the White Album by Joan Didion. I don't know if you've ever, it's just a collection of essays that basically captures that time. And a lot of what she's talking about is, is like being kind of a logical person who didn't fall into LSD and all the kind of myths and, you know, weird, just ideas at the time. Um, She's just kind of like viewing all this stuff as like having an inevitable bad end. And so I think for a lot of people during those, during those years there was this kind of foreboding sense that yeah, definitely came into, you know, music for sure. And so you have Coven who um, funneled that stuff but it also came from, you know, Jinx Dawson grew up in a family where, you know, there's, occult practices going on and stuff like that and so she kind of came from a background where that stuff was encouraged but yeah it was really enjoyable to get into just the cultural things that shaped each band i think i kind of mentioned it with like place earlier i've just always been like really heavily interested in like why a band sounds like they do and not just musical influences but i definitely think you know, no matter whether people realize it or not, I think you're always like reflecting place in a certain sense when you play music and whether it's a place like in your head or where you're from or where you are now, it can be any of those things, but I think it definitely all comes out. And so, yeah, looking at, um, you know, that kind of industrial, the shape of the industrial revolution and how that kind of went into hyperdrive and ended up, creating towns like Birmingham, which created bands like Black Sabbath. And then these weird kind of like cultural hopes that people had in the 60s that maybe LSD could save everybody and suddenly just be like a, you know, a magical solution and the crushing reality that just like really a lot of that stuff just leads to uh, kind of this bizarre cultish behavior and America has always been violent and, controlled by, you know, the military industrial complex and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's fascinating to look at the the cultural background of all this stuff that was happening with, like I said, Covenant Sabbath, and then I think, like, the Charles Manson murders happening, and Kent State, and the death of the 60s, and then you have a band that, like, Pentagram, that just kind of emerges from the ashes, and to me, none of that stuff is, you know, like, coincidence or um, accident in any way. I, like I said, I think the music is always just such a mirror for society. Like any art, super fascinating that you go back and look at what made these people feel like they did at that time.
1: Yeah, and I also appreciate that you brought up the song uh, The Gun, because that song whips.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so sure. good. Yeah, and the artwork for that album was pretty sinister for that time that was like kind of you know it seems kind of tame now but it and maybe a little bit cartoonish but i'm sorry the song is race of the devil the band is gun or the gun right 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 yeah and so yeah the the cover for that gun record um it's so cool yeah it's pretty sinister i mean really when you think about it for the late 60s of again kind of the flower power like just a little bit more hazy, like the Beatles and and stuff like that, and then suddenly here's this weird record with like this demon thing on it. It's like it's like Hieronymus Bosch meets Ralph Steadman. Yeah, that, that's actually exactly what. It, yeah, very Bosch, for sure. You know, like me, I don't know. Maybe you
1: can like kind of chime in on this some more, but like I really do feel like you know <clears throat> doom and the adjacent genres and we talked about it a little bit before was like i learned about it via the internet because like when i first started to look at more into all the genres of metal i just went on wikipedia and read all the lists but like you know yeah. plenty of books out there on the big bands and like you know the big, the bigger bands of the genre would be included in those like mammoth encyclopedias but like I read so many articles and interviews online. Shit, I've probably read, like, one of your articles and didn't realize it. Um, Like, and maybe it's just because of, like, the hustle involved with these bands and the artists are just, like, very willing to speak to get their voice out there. But it just seemed like the internet provided a wealth of information, like, about these bands, which just turned me on to, like, even more music from there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, really, I was just kind of piecing it together on my own, just reading what I could in in magazines and not in any like focused way, but when I would like see an article about doom or like heavy bands, I was just always very stoked on it, just trying to put the puzzle pieces in, in place for myself without that, that kind of overarching narrative. And I guess that kind of, I mean, really hits on like a kind of a core motivation for even writing the book of like, a lot of what I thought about when writing it was like what uh you know this is the book that i would have been just i i would have wished existed when i was 17 or 18 if i had doomed to fail back then it just would have you know been the book for me i probably would have read it like five times <laughs> for sure and then at the same time you know it's it's there's a lot of value in kind of like trying to piece the, the different elements together for yourself and just trying to figure it out along the way. But yeah, there was a lot of gaps for sure. And I think for a long time, I felt like, especially as the internet, you know, it became more and more present in people's lives. I really felt like I had a, a solid picture of, of doom, but while writing this book, I just realized that there were still gaps, even, even with the internet. I was just kind of realizing just different elements of, I think death doom was a big, a big learning experience for me in, in writing this book of reading about bands like Winter yeah, and, on and like really uh, the best active, name for a band <laughs> yeah being active in the late 80s and early 90s and again like trying to think of that music coming out of that time it's just it's still mind-blowingly crushing now but to imagine how it sounded back then to people it's like man it would have been just like complete fucking devastation
1: it's also very like long music that requires a lot of patience. Yeah. So it's like, it's For not sure. like you can listen. It's not like you put on like a punk or a hardcore discography and you could bang it, bang it out, like probably within like a few hours because the albums probably aren't very long, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, you get to band like Thurgathon and like, you know, that's an hour and a half of your day that you have to commit to that. <laughs> you know, Luckily they only have one record, you know, it's not, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like diving into like a, like the catatonia discography. I'm like, this is hard because like you have yeah. to put like three hours aside for two records. And I'm like, maybe I want to listen to something else. And like, I think they're a great band, but yeah, it's it's it it's
0: a it's a commitment, you know? For sure. And I will say too, just in all honesty, that was one of the challenges mm-hmm. of like once I started getting to like the later sections of the book, I mean by that time it had been just Listening to Doom and Sludge, like, primarily as, like, the primary music, which I I listen to it a lot regularly anyway, but in my daily life when I'm not writing a book about doom metal, there's a lot more just different shit in there. You know, just all kinds of just whatever weird pop song or I listen to a ton of hip-hop. There's just a bunch of different stuff in there to kind of mix up the mood. But in while writing Doom to Fail, it was, you know, I was just constantly doing homework of bands like that, like Thurgathon and Winter and list all these records I hadn't heard in full. And I will say that the, uh, God there was a psychic toll there for a while, for yeah. sure. I think after it was done, I had to really like step back from Doom and Sludge a little bit. I was listening to like a lot of Reggie and the Full Effect. I remember when I, <laughs> when I had finished and um, like the heaviest I was getting was like Carp, which is still like, that's kind of like a, Upbeat, almost vibe to it. Uh, Car- nice just, yeah, just yeah, for for sure. And just now going back to like listening to Buzz Oven a lot again and stuff like that. And so yeah, there's that music is challenging, and it it, it takes. A, I think when you really give it its due attention, there's a there's a toll for sure, and that's what it's designed to do. You know, it's not when they were writing those records. I think of like Lee Dorian talking about writing those first cathedral albums that that was exactly what they were trying to do is just make just make a p- very punishing listening experience and so when you when that's all you listen to is just like <laughs> it got pretty bleak there yeah which is Another funny because, which is funny
1: about cathedral too because like listening to their stuff like yeah they have really long songs but like they have parts where it's like it's not slow it's like almost like you know thrash or it's yeah. got like fast sections it's just it just goes for about a minute and a half and then you've got like six more minutes to get through okay like, like i can tell that they like iron maiden you know what i mean
0: yeah oh for sure yeah at the time and i mean it was you know it was also like death metal was the thing at that time so you know that was very much a presence and and all that stuff but yeah it's still it just punishing music